understanding what drives the business, what keeps them awake at night, what opportunities do they see, what language do they talk, um, is very important to, to know and to understand. And I always like to tell the story that, that when we walk into a, a management team uh, at the early days of our journey, I just asked, would you like to understand how your workforce is influencing your business outcomes? And nobody says no to that question. Hi, I'm David Green, and this is episode four of series 18 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Patrick Colan, Global Head of People Analytics, HR Intelligence, and Organizational Design at ABN AMRO, talking about his journey setting up and evolving his People Analytics team at ABN AMRO over the last eight years. I've known Patrick for most of that time, and one of the main things that's always stood out to me has been his laser-sharp focus on delivering value to the business. His number one piece of advice for people analytics teams looking to deliver more value to the business says it all. Start small, be business-focused, and be very specific on your outcome. So related to what we just talked about, what is the real value? Ask 10 times the question, why? Why is this? All that effort in the beginning of your program uh, pays off at the end. As well as understanding the value that People Analytics delivers to the business, Patrick helps the organization understand the value of other HR initiatives as well through what he calls analytics for evaluation. And we get into some really interesting examples of where he's done this at ABN AMRO in this episode. So evaluation is for us, if you look at People Analytics, maybe one step back, you're looking at the impact of your workforce on your business outcomes. But there's another type of research we do in the area of evaluation. And and, and that's where we look at workforce interventions. So leadership programs, uh, other skill-related programs, diversity programs, actually the whole basic bunch of services that HR provides. Throughout this episode, Patrick and I discuss his brilliant article written together with his colleague, Jap Veldkamp, eight big ticket items for people analytics. We look in particular at analytics for personalization, as well as analytics for value and analytics for evaluation. We discuss Patrick's journey developing the people analytics team at ABN AMRO over the last eight years, which all started with a focus on advanced analytics and the business. And we also asked Patrick for an update on the excellent work he's doing in employee listening. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Patrick Colan, Global Head of People Analytics, HR Intelligence and Organisational Design, ABN AMRO, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Patrick, it's great to have you on the show. We've known each other for several years, so I'm particularly excited to have you on the show. Um, Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to to you and your role at ABN AMRO? Sure, sure, I can. Um, I've been working in HR Analytics now, indeed, for seven years. and uh, we have a team of 12 by now, but we started, of course, with, with, with uh, less people. We started with two, focusing pretty much on the people analytics part, so the advanced analytics, and onboarded a few products um, as we went along. So 
We're also now responsible for serving management, uh, dashboarding, uh, strategic workforce management, and currently also thinking and talking about productizing organizational design. Um, so that's in a nutshell uh, my team and what we are doing. Brilliant. And and I know as we've shared on several occasions, we won't talk about today because it's sore point for both of us. We're big football fans, you with PSD and me of Liverpool. <laughs> um, and you alluded to the journey that, that you've been on uh, with People Analytics over the last seven, eight years at, at ABN AMRO. It's quite inspiring. I often point people to your articles on LinkedIn because it, it provides a lovely timeline of, of, of how, you've, how you've grown the function and the value that you've delivered both to the business but also to employees as well. And we're going to talk quite a bit today about your new article um, that you recently published, Eight Big Tickets for People Analytics. Um, before that, but I thought it'd be really great if we delved in a little bit deeper to that that journey that you've been on. If you could talk through the journey of evolving the team over over the last eight years. Uh, well, like I said, we started in the beginning really with people analytics. So f- for us, that's using advanced analytic techniques or statistics or machine learning. At that time, it was predominantly statistics for us um, to improve decision making and what we did and it's not the only way to go i guess but what we did in the beginning very specifically is focus on that advanced analytics so we we didn't include metrics uh, descriptive analytics in our department um, because we wanted to have our focus and a steep learning curve if you will on advanced analytics so that's that's maybe one thing we were deliberately focusing on in the beginning another thing is Business focus. Um, if if I was to prove very quickly um, that people analytics, how we just defined it, is beneficial for our business, um, it also is a good selling point within HR <laughs> uh, because they like that, of course. Um, so so understanding what drives the business, <clears throat> what keeps them awake at night. Uh, what opportunities do they see? What language do they talk? Um, it's very important to, to know and to understand. And I always like to tell the story that, that when we walk into a, a management team uh, at the early days of our journey, I just asked, would you like to understand how your workforce is influencing your business outcomes? And nobody says no to that question, of course. Um, uh, although I, I haven't found people who said no to that question. Um, and, and that's a good starting point to start uh, going into the discussion of okay, how can we support that from our people analytics practice. So, so in the beginning, it was start simple, uh, focus on your business, focus on advanced analytics and go from there. And it only later to, to finish a little bit of the journey, uh, we onboarded strategic workforce management, which is sort of a more of a, it's a gap analysis on your workforce, of course, but it's, it's kind of a, uh, overarching service within HR. We do that together with our business partners, of course, with HR business. And, uh, it needs a lot of support from analytics, uh, um, and more technical tools like dashboarding. Uh, survey management were onboarded later. And I guess 
survey management is, is an opportunity for us to, to collect new data. Um, and also to control a little bit the, 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 the surveys that are sent out on employee teams throughout the organizations, a little bit to manage that as well. And dashboarding is all about visualizing our insights, either coming from descriptive or predictive analytics. And like I said in the introduction, we grew from 2 to 12. I don't expect it to grow very much further. I also don't think that's a scalable model. I think the rest of HR, and I'm very pleased within our company, uh, should should start to work in a more data-driven way. Um, and it's not a scalable model to bring people in my department to, to help others. I think other people should in HR um, well, have that DNA of a, of a data-savvy employee, so to say. So that's kind of the journey um, that we had over the last seven years. It was, it was really interesting. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about that um, sort of stakeholder-led approach, I think is a good way of calling it. So fun fact for listeners, the, the first uh, people analytics conference I chaired was, was back in 2014, and Patrick was one of the speakers. And Patrick was quite unique in the fact that um, he really was having that business-led approach, exactly how he, how he said there, would you like to understand how your workforce affects outcomes? So there were a couple of others in there, I think Thomas Presmerson, who was at Shell at the time. But Patrick, you, as you said, you were two people to start off with. And rather than focusing on cleaning data and improving data, you actually went out and find what are the big challenges that the organization's facing that we could potentially apply advanced people analytics to. And by doing that, and obviously delivering value, I guess, you've been able to grow over the, over the sort of last seven years, rather than focusing, as a lot of teams do initially, on data and building the, building a, a team. You had two people, and, and I think you leveraged expertise from, from outside the organization to actually help you with the analytics. But you made sure that you and obviously the, the person that was working with you were making sure that that work was directed on the right business challenges for the organization. That's, that's correct. And I think, I think it's an interesting <clears throat> perspective. If you, if you look at the wall of Boudreaux, um, I hope that's familiar to our listeners, but on the left you have descriptive and on the right you have uh, predictive analytics. I always said you, you can start on the right side of that wall. You, you, you don't need to be mature in all aspects of HRIT, HR data quality. You can start with a simple data set and do predictive analytics. So by saying that, I more believe that people analytics should be approached as a research organizational capability than a technical, IT-driven, data-driven capability, if that makes sense. Um, otherwise, you're going to wait for um, maturity in those areas, and, and, and maybe you will wait forever. <laughs> and if you look at it as a research approach, then, then it's easier to see maybe where you can start. Does it make sense? Yeah, it, it it makes perfect sense to me. And and I know at the time, you know, I don't know if you remember all the way back to 2014, Patrick, but the, the number of presentations we saw that had the person maturity model for people analytics in it. Now, I'm not saying that that maturity model was necessarily wrong, but it did imply 
that you couldn't do predictive analytics, as you said, similar to the War of Boudreaux. You couldn't do predictive analytics unless you'd got your descriptive analytics right. And obviously, your experience and those of others suggest that's not the case. Just focus the predictive analytics or the advanced analytics work on the right business problems. That's right. And and what what you do need to have, of course, is the capabilities to do predictive analytics. So, so, and what we call today data scientist skills, people who do the number crunching and build models based on statistics and machine learning. And I think I missed that in the um, in the journey I described uh, of AVN Emerald. Uh, we had we didn't have in the beginning in our first year or two three um, data scientists within our company that wanted to work within HR. <laughs> so those are two things. Um, so we decided again not the only way to go, but we decided to go with a, a niche company and in that case, Agnostics in our case which was taken over by Deloitte in a, at a later stage, um, just to have, again, that steep learning curve. Uh, we, we didn't want to bother about the quality of our models or statistics or whatever. So we uh, well had a, uh, it was a joint effort between ABN AMRO and uh, Agnostics in the first two or three years. And only then we started to hire data scientists. And to be honest, if you are able from the beginning to have your own data scientist, I think that's the best way to go. But if you have uh, well, uh, problems recruiting those talents or not the budget, uh, there are other ways as well. And also universities, PhDs, for instance, can maybe help you out with uh, with the data science part. Yeah, that, I think you know, as you said, that's a that, that's a that's a that's a great way to do it. We, we talk about. One one option is to borrow data science skills from elsewhere in the company. Other, as you did, is to is to use skills from from the outside to almost create that momentum, prove the value of people analytics, and and then you can grow and build and build your own. So, so let's turn to the article um, now. Um, your your you list big eight big ticket items for people analytics. Um, so, firstly. Um, and, and, and this is maybe something particularly for other practitioners that might be listening. What motivated you to write write the article? Well, of course, the main reason for writing this article is that I didn't want to be missed in your annual review of the best articles of people analytics. <laughs> no, but kidding aside, um, we we always liked sharing um, our best practices and our thoughts. Um, and maybe at some point, at an early stage even. Um, we like it because uh, we always learn as well. Um, so, so indeed, uh, eight big ticks for people analytics. Uh, all over the world, people uh, luckily appreciate it, but also give feedback. And immediately, a week after uh, we published it, we have actually new ideas on well, maybe it should be nine, or we should recluster them, or or we learn something uh, on one of those topics. So it's always helpful, besides fun, uh, it's always helpful to uh, to share. You, you you also get feedback. And it was uh, a year ago, I think, that, our, that we wrote our uh, last article. So now, together with Jaap Feldkamp, we wrote the eight big tickets a little bit, well, future forward looking to next year. So, answer in short, it's fun, but we also learn from it. And, and 
perfect timing for the for the annual uh, collection of articles, which I think you featured you you featured in featured in every year since we did it. But but seriously, Patrick, I think practitioners like you and and there are others out there that share what you're doing. Um, I think there is a real benefit to the wider community because I think this is an area of HR that people are thirsty for information about. And what they really want to hear about is from practitioners like you and organizations that are doing the work. Um, it's interesting. I had a conversation with one of your peers a couple of weeks ago, uh, and they told me that actually sharing um, the work that they're doing externally has really helped them. You alluded to one, one way that that's, that's helped in terms of you learn and you get feedback that, to, to maybe iterate. You know, what are some of the other things that you've seen? I mean, they said that by sharing externally, it had a bigger impact internally within their organization than whether they shared the same story internally. I'd be love to hear your take on that. I like that one. Um, well, I wouldn't say bigger, but it definitely helps. Um, because you build a brand, I guess, externally as well by, by, by sharing, right? Um, which is also very beneficial if you want to extend your team and you want to, you want to recruit people, uh, or you need anything else, uh, so to say. So, so, so the brand helps and the brand externally also uh, well, helps with, with your internal brand, but, um, I wouldn't say that it, that it even more helps than what we do internally, <laughs> but it definitely supports, uh, supports what we do internally as well. Well, I, as I said, I know everyone's very grateful that, that you've regularly shared that, shared insights from, from the work. So let's, let's, let's focus on the article as such now that we're going to talk through two or three of these big ticket items. You know, let's start. You can, you, it is, you're allowed to do that. Yes, go, go, fire away. Can I make one remark, by the way? Is that, uh, is that allowed, uh, David? <laughs> because otherwise I I've, I've forget. If, if we were talking a few minutes ago about um, uh, using a vendor, right? Um, when you don't have the data science work. And I also said that if you could choose, it is good to have your own data scientist, right? And the reason for that, and I think that's an important point to make, we, we personally don't like black box analytics. So you really need to understand uh, how the data is structured, how the data should be interpreted, what data transformations um uh, really mean in terms of benefits and, uh, and, and, and maybe threats, uh, biases in the data. Uh, you should be very aware of that. And I, our team really believes that the best way to uh, take all the opportunities and challenge the threats is to really touch the data yourself and do the modeling yourself. And in the beginning, uh, the first two, three years, that was the reason why we were sitting very close to our uh, uh, appreciated colleagues of Inostics. Uh, so they maybe did the modeling, but we had a lot of extensive conversations about the data and what to do with it and which attributes to choose uh, uh, for, for the models we were trying to make. So just, just a point I wanted to make. So black box analytics, I wouldn't suggest that to uh, to anyone no, and, and actually i think that that leads to another good point that's related to that you've always openly advocated and, and explained that you work very closely with your legal team at abn amro so before you even start a piece of work 
you know, you get legal involved and, and make sure that, you know, is this not only is it the right thing to do, but how can we do it to make sure that le- we're legally compliant, but also that we can provide value to employees, which is what we're going to talk about in a minute. And then again, before you communicated any of the results, again, you've got that that checkpoint, which is just good practice, really, isn't it? Because as you said, you've, you know, you've got to be careful because it's people data at the end of the day. It's, our, it's the data of our workforces. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I guess way before uh, GDPR in Europe, uh, the legislation, uh, we were already very careful and uh, not only what law tells us to do, but also ethical looking at what are we doing and is this okay? So we always uh, uh, try to be as transparent as possible and share whatever we do with employees, but specifically with compliance and legal. And actually per case, we checked if we were allowed to pursue the case that we wanted to investigate. Nowadays, we have more like a framework and it's been worked on uh, annually actually to improve it, specifically when we go in a minute maybe to uh, bringing um, insights to production, so personalization. Uh, but nowadays we have a sort of a framework where we can fill in some questions and based on those questions, it's, it's uh, green, amber or red and green we go ahead and the other two colors, I'm not sure where we have two, <laughs> but the other two colors we have to talk to compliance and legal. Um, but it is definitely very important. Uh, absolutely. And particularly if we look at the first of the big ticket items that we're going to look at, analytics for personalization. So Tell us a little bit more about that and, and why, you know, why it's considered a big ticket item for, for you and Yak. When we come back in just a moment, Patrick dives in to one of his eight big ticket items for people analytics, analytics for personalization. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by Hula. Hula Hub is a personalized digital workplace solution designed to boost productivity save you time, increase employee engagement, and help enable a more connected culture, no matter where your people are. After decades of uninspiring workforce platforms, Hula Hub is the go-to platform for leaders wanting to meet the needs of their employees, boost their well-being, enable more flexible styles of working, and forever improve the way we work. It's a revolutionary way to connect everything we use on a daily basis and access it all with just two clicks, keeping you organized and saving millions of pounds in wasted time. To learn more, visit hula.io. That's H-U-L-E-R dot I-O. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Patrick Colan, Global Head of People Analytics, HR Intelligence, and Organizational Design at ABN AMRO. Now, back to the conversation. Well, I think for us, it's the big next step. We've been doing a lot of research, which was delivered in a dashboard or in a PowerPoint or in well, a memo, if you will. Um, and, And since a year, year and a half, we've been thinking and working on uh, okay, but how can we use our insights at scale? So f- for all of our employees. 
And in the last year and a half, we, we had one case. Uh, I guess you're familiar with it. It's, uh, it's in the book. Uh, excellence in people analytics. It's about empathy experience, right? So, so we, we ask in a monthly survey, in a sample to, in our organization, okay, what is ABM doing well and what, can, what can we improve on related to ABM as a good employer? And we will have a lot of topic detection, text analytics, and the results are, of course, a list or a visual of all the topics that people talk about, either very happy about, or they give suggestions or they have some complaints. And we share that via a dashboard, Power BI dashboard, with the whole organization. So that was maybe an example in the last year and a half where we productized in a dashboard, so to say, um, the insights. But the next step is also to productize our our insights coming from models uh, in in software or, or in processes. So now we're working on uh, vacancy recommendations, for instance, learning recommendations. The difference in our case is that learning recommendations is very much driven by our learning system. So we are aligned, but but not uh, driving that uh, that project. But vacancy reg- recommendations, we are. So we are looking what data can we use uh, within GDPR, again, um, uh, th- that we have of our employees and how can we create a sort of skill profile based on machine learning. And that skill profile can be used to match against vacancies and, and it delivers you a sort of matching percentage, if you will. And if you have that, you, you, we are able to show you the five best matches of internal vacancies or the five best matches of reskilling vacancies or even further ahead in time, the five best matches of external vacancies for people who are at risk, for instance, that could be a, well, a very beneficial insight as well. So these are just two examples, one a little bit more down-to-earth dashboarding-driven in terms of delivery, and the vacancy recommendation will be, will be incorporated in our um, HRIT landscape. And of course, you know, we talk about analytics for personalization, and, and I see, you know, and you may agree with me, that this is the opportunity to really provide value to the workforce as well, because if you're using people... Their, well, employee data to provide recommend, relevant recommendations for them, just like we have as consumers, you know, if we're looking at Netflix or, or, or Amazon, then that is much more relevant than just looking at what, what training courses can I, can, I, can I do. Um, you know, and that's where, you know, you're really providing that fair exchange in value, I guess, for, for, to the employee for providing their data. Um, and as you said, a real opportunity to, to, to scale that. And really interesting that, you know, you're looking at extending it perhaps to um, any employees that, that may be at risk in the future around how their skills match with external vacancies as well. I think that's, that's, that's really good. Yeah, that is, that is the future, by the way. So to be honest, we, we just embarked on this um, vacancy recommendation uh, uh, project, but it looks very promising. We're validating the skill profiles we're creating. Um, and we're validating the matches we have against uh, vacancies, but we have, still have to bring it to production. I want to be uh, transparent about that. Um, but, but it is very promising. And you're right. It is like our iPhone. We get a lot of 
nudges uh, on a daily basis and we think it's very interesting and it helps you and me to have a more effective life <laughs> so to say maybe i'm exaggerating here but but what we're trying to do indeed with the same sort of techniques is to um to maximize the careers that our employees have to make sure that they have the best possible career they can have by nudging them on those topics that are relevant for them so we have one rule if we do personalization it should be beneficial for the employee right not because uh we have to collect some data or uh, whatever no it should be beneficial for the employee that's uh that's a golden rule yeah i think well that takes you back to one of our previous your previous articles the 10 golden rules but yeah i mean that that's a great golden rule uh, <laughs> i think to have to have um so the next two of the big tickets we're going to talk about are almost like the almost the bookends of people analytics uh, and certainly line up um with the way we think about delivering that value through the operating model that we recommend uh, Insight 222 that was in our recent research. So you have analytics for value and analytics for evaluation. And this is really about putting the business front and center of the work that the people in the analytics teams does. That's right, yeah. That's right. And this is immediately the, the feedback I talked about. I mean, I think you're right that you place them together. Uh, analytics for value and analytics for uh, evaluation. They both are related to the value we create for our business. Which is always the approach you've had. Um, it's kind of, it's that evolution, isn't it? So can you tell us that in the article, you know, again, we will reference this in the material that comes out of the podcast so people don't need to go and find it, although it's quite easy. Just go to Patrick's LinkedIn um, homepage. Can you tell us, a, but we will do that anyway. Can you tell us a bit more about the workshop that you designed to articulate the value of a people analytics project? I'd love to understand how that was received and what was the impact of holding those workshops with business. Yes, of course. And, and it sounds maybe very basic. I mean, it's, it's, it is, you could argue it's just a workshop. But in our case, so I'm not saying that it's, that it's as powerful for all other organizations as well, but in our case, we really liked it because it, it is, um, an, which is difficult in these, uh, these times, but it is an, uh, a physical meeting. So not digital. <laughs> we have a lot of offline tools, um, and support, uh, elements and, and things we can use. And we trying to, to create a circle in the thinking of the participants. First, what are your products? And are you responsible for everything you just mentioned when you described your product? <laughs> or is it just subparts of it? Who are your clients? Um, and can you pick the most important ones? Because normally when you ask people to list clients, they come up with a very extensive list. And it kind of blurs into stakeholders as well, right? But But in the end, you have... You have to be very clear who is the client, which is, to our opinion, something different than a stakeholder. Um, and if you have your products, your responsibility and your clients, then we end the workshop with, okay, when is your client happy, right, with your product? So it's starting to go into the area of success measurement, KPIs, and things like that. And then at the end, we link them back to the activities. Are these KPIs that you just articulate, logically connect it to the uh, uh, um, uh, products uh, you described in the beginning. 
And that, that is a kind of a circle. And it is a lot of fun, <laughs> but it is also very, very important because it allows us to really pinpoint the value um, for, for instance, diversity. And, uh, I forgot to tell you, but for instance, we have diversity people or learning people or recruitment people or business people in the room looking at a specific domain, of course. And if you have the main KPIs, it really drives you, drives your portfolio on research. And a nice beneficial uh, benefit, I guess, uh, or, or additional benefit is that sometimes we use this workshop also for, for instance, uh, articulating the KPIs for the learning department. What, what, what should they go for, regardless if we do a research or not? So, so it's, it's, um, it's a good way of driving your portfolio and research, helping your internal customer articulating their most important KPIs and in the slipstream, creating a data driven culture as you go along. So, so it's again, just a workshop, but in our case, a very much appreciated and powerful. Well, I guess so important because as you said, it directs the research in the right direction and it also acts I guess from what you're telling me as a nice checkpoint that you're measuring the right things the, the right KPIs because it's quite you can, we can measure lots of things can't we with, with with analytics and we certainly measure a lot of things in HR but it's far more important to measure the right things rather than many absolutely that's true so the circle rationale I just explained is also very important because it's if, if, if you're asking me and I go into a workshop like this and I would be responsible for a department, it's very easy to forget to connect all the dots, right? So, so it's, it's in that, in that sense, it's a powerful workshop that really helps people to pinpoint what they are really doing and what should be the main measurements of success. Um, it'd be great to hear maybe a couple of examples of, of where you've seen analytics for evaluation done really well right so that's that's another big ticket so so evaluation is for us if you look at people analytics maybe one step back you're looking at the impact of your workforce on your business outcomes but there's another type of research we do in the area of evaluation and and, and that, that's where we look at workforce interventions so leadership programs uh, or other skill-related programs, diversity programs, actually the whole basic bunch of services that HR provides. And not for all of them, but for the strategic ones, the bigger ones or the more expensive ones or the more strategically important ones, we uh, we run uh, analytic projects where we evaluate. So maybe an example which is, I think, in the article itself, is um, the use of skill coaches within our retail branches. Skill coaches are um, supposed to help the self-organizing teams to improve, for instance, uh, client satisfaction uh, and sales and, 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 and whatever. And we found out so it was also already a bold move by retail to do the research, to really check, do these skill coaches really help boost our sales, for instance? And we found out by just using analytics that they do. So, so teams that were more using and better making use of skill coaches 
uh, sell more mortgages. And the model doesn't explain you immediately why that is the case, but it is an important signal uh, in terms of evaluation because, well, we invest in skilled coaches in this case, but it's, uh, it's a success story. A little bit longer ago, we looked at some training programs, also with the intention to improve ENPS. Um, it was a large program uh, within the bank, also within retail. And there we found out, for instance, that a few modules of that whole intervention, learning interventions, weren't that efficient. So that helps our client to make decisions, right? To maybe exclude a few of those models. We also saw that some models were particularly uh, uh, powerful for a specific group of users, not everyone. So this, this is maybe a smaller example, but it gives you also an idea of how you can use analytics to fine tune your programs, not, not so much to stop or start, but also to fine tune the interventions you're doing to make sure, again, that you go for the right KPIs and that they influence the right KPIs. Yeah, really important because you said that an analytics to kind of direct the evolution of the programs and whether you should invest more, for example, in skills coaches um, at bank branches, you know, from what you've told me, it suggests that it justifies that investment. Um, so yeah, very, very interesting. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now, let's go back to the conversation with Patrick as he offers his number one piece of advice for people analytics teams looking to deliver more value to the business. So if we think about, let's sort of distill it down now. What would be your number one piece of advice? And if you want two or three, that's fine. What would be your number one piece of advice for people analytics teams looking to deliver more value to the business? Um, yeah, well, I think I've, I mentioned a few. Start small, be business focused, uh, be very specific on, on, on your outcome. So related to what we just talked about, what is the real value? Ask 10 times the question, why? Why is this? Um, all that effort in the beginning of your program uh, pays off at the end. Um, so be very specific about the value. Understand your business. If you don't understand the business, involve uh, colleagues who do uh, have, have an understanding. Um, so I would say business focus, start small. Um, you don't have to be mature, like I already mentioned, in all those different areas like IT, uh, data quality. It's important, but it shouldn't block you for starting it. And I guess, yeah, in a more, in a more generic sense, uh, I, I would almost refer to the 10 golden rules of analytics <laughs> on LinkedIn. 
Um, I think I forgot a few. <laughs> well, we, we will we will help people by putting a link to that to that article as well. But um, but yeah, I, I remember that one at the, at the time being something I think a lot of people learn from. One of the areas of work that you've spoken a lot about and certainly kindly contributed a case study to, to people analytics, and I think a lot of people have learned from your approach to is employee listening. Um, you know, we won't go into huge amounts of detail now because obviously we want people to, well, I'd love people to buy the book and read the case study in there, but, you know. And also I think you've, 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 you've shared, I think, on a number of occasions, at least two or three occasions, I think, the, the, the steps that you've taken around that employee listening program. But can you give us an update? Because obviously we, the case study or the book came out in July. Um, you know, employee listening has been a big, big theme, of course, over the over the past 20, 21 months or so. Can you give us an update? What's the latest on employee listening at ABN AMRO? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think from a technical perspective, um, we improved our models significantly. So I think uh, when we talked about the case around the time that uh, the book was created, <laughs> um, we had a a 84% uh, precision rate. I have to explain that. Um, that means that we were able in 84% of the cases to to place, to take a, a text that somebody is writing down and place it in the right bucket. So for instance, manager quality or diversity. And we have, by the way, 120 of those buckets or topics. So in 84%, we were able with our modeling, we're a topic detection model, um, to predict the right topic. But now we reached, we, we went beyond 90. So we, we kept on improving our topic detection modeling. So that's, that's, that's one thing. Um, and what we did recently, because now we have enough data, is we are building we build our force model already, uh, but we're continuing to look at, okay, but people talk about a lot of topics, but which of those topics are driving uh, client satisfaction or driving our employee satisfaction or any other business outcome, if you will? Because of the year and a half or two years that we've been collecting this employee experience data, um, well, we, we created a, an extra source of data that we can include in all of our research. Uh, so that, that's what we are looking at now, because I think in the book, you also show a diagram with bubbles, which, which represent the topics. And those are very relevant because this is what people talk about, but it doesn't show you immediately that yet if, if a bubble is big, if it's also very important for uh, a client satisfaction. So those type of models we are adding on the concept of, of employee experience, which is very relevant because it's focusing where you could do your intervention based on the target you're pursuing. And if I remember rightly from one of your previous articles, um, you the employee experience team at ABN Amro works very closely with the customer experience team anyway. So you've got that opportunity, I guess, to see this is important for employees, as you said. Is it important for customers as well? Where obviously not every topic is going to be important for customers and employees, but you are able to do that that, that linkage. Oh, you're right. You're right. And, and and again, I think 
a, a huge benefit is having this data, <laughs> extra data, to be able to deploy it in any research we do, regardless if it's uh, customer satisfaction um, or uh, fraud detection or uh, average handling time in call centers. Um, it is an extra data set that previously we didn't have. So the sentiment, so to say, of our employees uh, can be used to explain um, uh, some of our business targets as well. Okay, we come, unfortunately, Catherine, we come to the last question. So we will have to continue this one. Maybe not on a podcast, but over a beer, over a beer hopefully, whenever we get a chance to meet again. Um, the question that this is the question we're asking everyone on this series, and you've touched on it already, so you might might just want to provide a summary here. How can HR help the business identify the critical skills for the future? Well, of course, HR has a huge role in identifying critical skills. I mean, I think that's that's one of the core businesses, um, uh, HR business and learning experts, um, performance experts, uh, you name them. Um, I think they have extensive dialogues with our business um, to identify critical skills. Also, people within my team who are dealing with strategic workforce management and reskilling um, have and support uh, discussions with the business on the critical skills for the future. So that's that's HR, I guess. Uh, uh, people analytics, well, I think we can help in a few ways. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll mention two. One is um, what is the skill distribution? Can we visualize that? And do we see um, areas where there are uh, where there is a surplus of talents, and where do they have a lack of specific talents? And can we connect that? So that is, I guess, very interesting data and information for, for instance, reskilling. But on a more granular level. Um, I think we can test hypotheses as well. Um, of course, that's what people analytic does, I guess. Um, so assuming that critical skills are, I, I, have to, I have to do one step back. Let, let's take the recruitment example, right? Where we have a, a recruitment profile on specific skills. Um, we hardly ever investigate and we did that a year ago, um, If are these skills the right skills? Because we came up with them by having discussions, right? Um, and then we do an assessment and they score high on those skills and we hire a person. But what we should do is after a year or maybe two years, see if that person is still here. Is she or he successful? What are the characteristics also in skills? And maybe adjust the profile. So, so it's also a... a, a purifying mechanism, maybe, uh, people analytics, to test if the skills you came up with are the right skills on a more granular level. I hope that made sense. <laughs> <In the end. laughs> it makes perfect sense. And I think linked to what you said earlier around um, the work you're doing around um, creating sort of skills profiles which to support employees around the personalization bit yeah so helping employees whether with with either learning opportunities or reskilling opportunities or internal opportunities almost is is analytics acting as a thread that that helps link together talent mobility for example 
workforce planning and learning together. So maybe that's the big part role that people analytics can play in this kind of skills top question, which is such a big question for, for organizations at the moment. People analytics is the thread that connects some of those traditional silos together, perhaps. Yes, and, and, and the case we discussed about vacancy recommendation is also, you can also relate that to, to skills. I mean, how do you get the person from A to B? You can have projects and, and, and communication, but you can also uh, mass customize it and bring it to the individuals themselves to, to see the opportunities. So, so that's also where people analytics can play an important role. I agree. Well, we could go on. I know we could, but Ian, will, will, as producer, will cut the tape at some point. So lastly, Patrick, firstly, thanks for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. It's been great to have, have, you, on the sh- have you on the show. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media and find out more? Well, that's an easy answer. That's LinkedIn. If, if, if listeners think, oh, that's, that's an interesting topic we discussed today, feel free to connect on uh, on LinkedIn, like I said, I'm always happy to uh, to share and learn. Brilliant, Patrick. Well, thanks for everything you do for our field um, and for your partnership and support over the last seven, eight years. So, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you too, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Tune in next week for the final episode of this series, episode five, where I'll be joined by Anshul Shiapuri, Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at IBM Workforce. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.